0: through the valley of the shell.
1: I started on cleanup just like you guys, but now, see, I'm washing lettuce. Soon I'll be on fries, then the grill. A year or two, I make assistant manager. And that's where the big bucks start rolling in. Just two years, eh?
0: Chris Gousley here with... Matt Howell. This episode of The First Run, Matt, Smooth Operator Howell and I. Well, I think we may finally have found the show that will make Matt quit. Because I made him watch a Japanese drama about a guy getting chauffeured around Hiroshima for three hours. That's right. It's the highly regarded best international feature frontrunner, Drive My Car. We're also going to spend some time talking about Sundance. Matt and I both watch Duel. The latest film from Riley Stearns, which is a name that I didn't connect with initially, Matt. And we'll talk about that as well. Matt will also share his thoughts on another film that he watched as part of the festival. We'll tell you what's coming up in physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then finally, I'm going to close out the show with our five favorite doppelganger-slash-double-whatever-you-want-to-call-it films. Let's start everything off with a clip from Drive My Car. <laughs> どういや。Matt, driving my car, winner of Best Foreign Language Film at this past year's Golden Globe Awards. Not that that means anything. Frontrunner for Best International Feature, allegedly at the Oscars. So... Sounds like it's gonna be pretty good. Why don't you tell the fine folks what is "Drive My Car"
1: all about? <laughs> so Yusuke Kafuku is a stage actor and, and stage di- and theater director, who after the death of his wife is still unable to cope with it after a few years. So he decides to go to Hiroshima to direct a version of Uncle Vanya, which is just a should really give you a clue of what you're in for for this film. And uh, yeah, he gets driven around because actors are not allowed to drive in Hiroshima. And lots of navel gazing ensues. <laughs> wow. All
0: right. I think we know where Matt's going to land on this one. Listen, Matt, it's three hours long. And I love that your message to me is this is three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. I think for the casual moviegoer, I think that three hour long film may be a bit intimidating, that mm-hmm. runtime. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't feel that the film, as some people have written, is ponderous, that Mm. it's overly long. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, Hamaguchi does a great job of kind of spacing this thing out. And I found it to be lovely. I found it to be touching. It is long, but it never felt long. Mm. You know, as we like to say, deliberately paced. Sure. So it didn't feel overly cumbersome in its length, but it's not an action packed kind of, you know, hyper drama, melodrama type thing. It's this guy who loses the love of his life, his wife, and him basically dealing with that in fact that's what's interesting I think about the film is his driver that takes him around we end up getting at this delicate kind of nuanced experience about relationships that can develop between two people who are dealing with similar issues be they tragedy guilt loss and maybe finally acceptance but uh
1: what are your thoughts on drive my car <laughs> so first i think we should hearing you discuss this, I think for one of our top fives, we should do like a top five, three plus hour film and see where we, where we come down on these things. Mm. Um, Just to see where, where, because I think, you know, I think it's definitely possible to have a longer film that is engaging. I mean, Godfather one and two are both, you know, pushing the three hour mark and those films are riveting from beginning, beginning to end. This is, and they're, and they're subtle too. This is subtle to a point where it's almost wooden. The the main actor, um, I'm not familiar with him. Um Hidetoshi Nishijimi. Yes, thank you. I guess he I'm not familiar with his work. I guess he has a reputation for being very subdued in his acting and very kind of um I would know. Uh, featureless. About that. Yeah. <laughs> featureless, emotionless. And I think that's really kind of off putting. This is all very wooden to me. And I think the language barrier is kind of heightens that for me, um, where it's hard to kind of pick up on the inflections necessarily, because there may be nuance to the way things are said in Japanese that I may not be picking up as an English-only speaker. Kind of contrast that with last week's film, The Worst Person in the World, which was in a foreign language, but I was able to really connect with those characters. Whereas this, they kind of consciously keep you at arm's length, and it all comes off as very cold to me. I think it's it definitely looks fantastic. I think there are scenes from this that are, you know, touching and there are kind of these gut punch pieces to it that are very effective. But I think there's too much around it that is too hard to really fully appreciate, at least for me. I mean, I'm watching this thing and I'm into it. I'm sitting here watching and watching and watching it. And it's 45 minutes before the credits start to come up. I mean, the entire, the entire noted that (laughs) all of the preamble stuff. I'm like, Oh wait, the movie's now starting now the movie's starting. Um, so yeah, I just, I can see what they were going for. I can appreciate what they were doing. I just, if you enjoyed this film, I understand it. I just don't think it's for me. And if, if, if I'm being honest, if, uh, this and the worst person in the world were both nominated for best foreign language film, I would hands down, you know, check off worst person in the world compared to this.
0: So part of me was watching this. It's like, I know now you may not be familiar with this, but Matt is like a Chad. He's a, uh, maybe even <laughs> like a, a Sigma male. And uh, all I could think of is there's a particular couple of scenes in this film where uh, Nishijama's characters, who Kofuku is dealing with the transgressions of his wife. And all I'm thinking is Matt's going like, "Cuck," you know, I'm like, <laughs> sure. he has, you know, like, you know, the whole time. <laughs> but, no, it's it's a very delicate, nuanced film. It really is. I think, Matt, you make an interesting point about inflection and not being as familiar with the native language that they're speaking, that it may add some even more depth to the film that may not come across to the average American uh, viewer such as ourselves. One of the things I thought was really fascinating is how this adaptation of this play his version of it. Now, I'm entirely ignorant, Matt, of this play. So I don't know if this is sourced, like this is how it always is done, or this is his spin on it. But it's communicated in three different languages all at the same time. One person speaking Japanese, right? One speaking Cantonese, mm-hmm. and there's someone speaking sign language. Right. I love that idea because it shows that some themes are universal and that there is an unspoken connection to each of us, you know, that transcends language. And I think that's the core of the film is the relationship between Oto and Yusuke is just like that, where their love for each other is at such a a deep and understanding level that he, what is it? Not so much he forgives her transgressions, right? But mm-hmm. he accepts them um, because it's, I guess, part almost of her creative process. And there's this devastating scene I think, between Yusika and, um, what's his name? Is it Koji? In the, in the car where they're sharing this story because they both have this relationship with Ota uh, that is just really fascinating, watching his reaction to being told the second half of a story he didn't even know existed because it's only something she shares in these intimate moments. It was very gripping. It was really fascinating to kind of watch that. And those relationships and those feelings can kind of transcend again just general language and how we relate to each other. There are core truths to who we are as people, which is something I think is captured. And I may be inclined to agree with you better in the worst person in the world mm-hmm. that we discussed last week. So I, I did enjoy this. I think maybe a little bit more than you, but I'm inclined to agree with your assessment that if I had to choose one or the other, I probably am leaning towards worst person in the world over this. Uh, and I will say, too, there's, I have, some I think, some bias in my foreign films. I think a couple of the Korean films we watched over the last few years, too, Like I was waiting for this kind of emotional impact where there would be this eruption of violence that never seems to happen, right, because he's so subdued. I, I think maybe I'm programmed after watching like Burning, which is a fantastic film about uh, a subtle take on toxic masculinity. And then finally, you know, a parasite, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, best picture winner the other year. So, but obviously none of that ever happens. This is a much more contemplative film. I will say too, I'm not sure the ending has the emotional impact that Hamaguchi is going for. At least not for me. Maybe it does for other viewers, but I think that the rest of the film has this deep kind of rich emotional journey that we go on with these characters and that is rewarding enough, even if I think the finale doesn't really pay off for me that I think maybe he's going for when they go to her former home. But I will say I found the coda of that perhaps sweeter and relays a more, I think, positive message. And I think it was really deeply needed to alleviate a lot of the prior sadness that uh,
1: we experienced throughout the you know, almost three hour running time of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there are things to like in this, and I I'm not going to begrudge you, you know, anyone who thinks this is one of the best films of the year. I can see where you're coming from. I just um, I just can't connect with it the same way that a lot of people are. But I don't think it's a bad film by any stretch. No, no, I agree. It's just that you know, there's just a, that's <laughs> <a couple laughs> that's how rumors get started. You, you know, you're putting stuff out on the internet. Next thing we know, canceled.
0: Fair, fair. Uh, Matt, driving my car is currently playing in limited theaters all over the country. You got to go to your art houses. I'm going to give it, I think, an A-. I gave Worst Person in the World an A. I believe you did as well. Yeah. But I'm going to give this one an A-. So clearly I'm on
1: the same board with you, but let's find out right now. How divergent are we here? Yeah, I think it's a good film, but I think it's a B film. I don't think it's... If it wins the Oscar, I'll be disappointed. There's some people saying it could do a... A sweep
0: of international wow. and best picture as well. That's crazy to it's me. Connecting with certain critics that deeply, which... All right. So you, what'd you give me again? I'm sorry. I didn't write it down. B. Uh, B. A, B. a B. B. as in boisterous. <laughs> Good times. If you've got a chance to see Drive My Car, shoot us an email at feedback at run.com. Matt, coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, February 1st. Holy cow. February 1st. I always like to hit that R too. February. February. <laughs> February. <Sibilance. laughs> Probably a film that is just drowning in nostalgia. In fact, one of the special features is called We Got One Easter Eggs Revealed, as if the whole film basically isn't one long Easter egg.
1: Ray's a cult and we're closed. Wait! I only get one phone call. I'm... in prison. Huh. A slammer, huh? I've <laughs> been there myself. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm listening. Are you Ray Stans, the Ghostbuster? And now I'm hanging up. Hang on, please! i calling about Egon Spangler. Egon Spangler can rot in hell.
0: He died last week.
1: Oh, man. No kidding.
0: Can you imagine if somebody said that to you, to you about your grandfather?
1: Rot in hell. <laughs>
0: I don't know, maybe your grandfather was a horrible person. He may very well, could have been. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife Matt's coming up this upcoming Tuesday, February 1st. And there is an ultimate collection trap case where you get all the films in UHD. And it's it's built like one of the ghost traps, which I think is kind of cool, right? Mm -hmm. Except, listen to this. The 2016 Paul Feig version Mm -hmm. is digital copy only. It is actually not included in this
1: set. Oh, wow crazy wonder why i
0: i I, just really blows my mind that they would not include uh, an actual physical uhd disc of that film it's what am i supposed to take from that right is that they're just disavowing it it's wow did they like did they like
1: run out did they run out of them and they like didn't (laughs) want to print more or like did they not have the rights to print them i don't know I can't. No, I don't
0: know. I don't. If it's just the Ghostbuster fans who were, you know, the toxic fandom that was so upset
1: about the last, that film. Or, that yeah. Maybe they want people to buy the set and they're thinking, you know what? If we throw this in here, there's a good chance this thing doesn't sell. <laughs> That's crazy to me.
0: <laughs> there's also a deleted scene in some other making of future rights included in that one. Matt Clifford, the big red dog, the big screen adaptation is included, uh, included. It's coming out as well. Oh, one more thing too. I forgot to mention about drive my car that I found hilarious is that it was based What's on a short story.
1: Oh well, yeah, by yeah, 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 by Murakami. Yeah, there you go. All right, good times.
0: Clifford the Big Red Dog. Have you checked that one out with a uh, little first run?
1: I have not checked that out with little first run. All right. Well, she doesn't. She's 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 getting older. She seems to have less interest in some of that stuff. You know.
0: Fair enough. Include some deleted scenes in making of featurettes. Scream Factory is releasing the sequel to Slumber Party Massacre includes audio commentary with the director and alternate ending. I want to check this out. This one's actually supposed to be a lot of fun. Slumber Party Massacre, the original, is is really kind of a schlocky fun little horror film as well. And this one is supposed to be kind of right in that similar vein. So hopefully maybe we'll do this for the show at some point. Uh, The Spine of Night is being released as well. It's an animated film, Matt. There's a steelbook release included. It features the voices of Richard E. Grant, Lucy Lawless, Patton Oswalt, and Joe Manganiello. It's an ultraviolet Ultraviolet. ultraviolet, epic fantasy set in the land of magic f- follows heroes from a different eras and cultures battling against a malevolent force. Mainstream is being released featuring Maya Hawke and Andrew Garfield. And as cautionary tale, three people struggle to preserve their identities as they form an eccentric love triangle with the fast-moving internet age. Sounds like a movie that should have come out like in 1998 or something like that. Right. Shudder is releasing Superhost... With their follower account dwindling, travel vloggers Teddy and Claire pivot to creating viral content around their most recent superhost Rebecca, who wants more from the duo than a great review. Includes some bloopers and making of information. Criterion is releasing Written on the Wind to kick off our new-to-Blu-ray section, featuring Rock Hudson, Lauren Bacall, and Robert Stack. Get a brand-new 2K restoration of that, a 2008 documentary featuring archival interviews, a new interview, and more. Kino Lorber is releasing a bunch of stuff, Matt. A two pack of FX and FX two, about that movie special effects guy who gets uh, hired to uh, take yeah. out the mob. I've never seen any of those though. I think they were pretty popular
1: in the eighties, weren't they? Yeah, I never. I did remember seeing the second one in theaters for some reason. I they're not particularly good. Fair enough. Despite Brian D- <laughs> <laughs> Uh Also, the
0: Preston Sturges film, The Great Moment, is coming out. It's the saga of W.T.G. Morton, the 19th century Boston dentist who, after inventing the first truly effective anesthesia, was forced to give up his proprietary interest in the invention and end up dying in poverty and obscurity. Ah, capitalism. Uh, The Bob Hope film, *Monsieur Bacchard, from 1946 is being released. I'm sure I nailed that. Brand new 2K restoration of that one. They're also releasing Hope's Where Is, excuse me, Where's, I'll get there, Where There's Life. From 1947. I'm going to leave that in there as a treat for you guys. I'm not going to edit that out because I am real. <laughs> I am an authentic person who makes mistakes. Sandpiper is releasing Under Fire featuring Nick Nolte, Gene Hackman, and Joanna Cassidy. Nicaragua, 1979. Star photographer Russell Price covers the Civil War against President Somoza. Facing the cruel fighting, people versus army it's often hard for him to stay neutral. When the guerrillas have him take a picture of their leader, Raphael who's believed to be dead, he gets drawn into the happenings. Matt, getting a 30th anniversary, 30th anniversary steelbook release. No UHD, no new scan, but a steelbook release. 30 years. Wayne's roll. Holy
1: God. (laughs)
0: There is also a uh, two-pack including uh, Wayne's World, Wayne's World Two. No steelbook for that. No new transfer for either of those. They're just releasing that in a two-pack. Thirty years. <sighs> UHD release is almost famous. Is getting a UHD release. The Mad Max anthology is being reissued with a corrected soundtrack, as well as uh, a single release of the Road Warrior. So the issue we had, Matt, is that the audio track in the Road Warrior was broken. There was something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Atmos mix in the disc included a number of sound effect revisions in the 5.1 and 2.0 options. Rather than being previously there original sound mixes, they were simply what's referred to as fold-downs of the Atmos mix. Uh, they don't know if, they're, if the Atmos mix is being redone as well, but that the 5.1 and 2.0 mixes will have the correct original sound mixes on the replacement discs and not the you know, folded down or compressed or whatever it is, version of the Atmos mix instead. Here's straight to DVD pick of the week. I have to keep doing it. If they keep coming out, I promised I would. Deadlock. (laughs) Bruce Willis stars as Ron Whitlock, a wanted criminal leading a team of mercenaries on a mission of vengeance. Convinced that the government is working against them, the merciless group brutally seizes an energy plant and holds everyone inside hostage. With a nearby town on the brink of massive flooding and destruction... It's up to one retired elite Army Ranger, Mac Carr, played by Patrick Muldoon, to save thousands of innocent lives before it's too late. Oh, Bruno.
1: Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Um, so I'm going to recommend um, a crime series that is wrapping up um, starring Jason Bateman called Ozark, um, where a money launderer for the mob um, finds out that his partner was stealing from them. And he is now forced to, well, not even the mob, cartel, uh, basically flee and, and work um, off his debt in in the Ozark region of Missouri with his family. Um, it's a pretty good little crime uh, film. Uh, show it's available on netflix the fourth season just came out and it's the last one so sit back and watch them all
0: i have not seen a single episode of that show i hear it is pretty good mm-hmm. not great but has some great like, moments
1: it's, yeah it's not like breaking bad or justified great but it is pretty good it's worth a watch i had it to the list hey did you hear they're bringing back justified a little mini i did yeah I, I saw your tweet about that i'm oh very excited i love justified as did I. I'm really looking forward to that.
0: All right, folks. Let's keep rolling. We're going to spend a couple of minutes to talk about Duel, which is one of the films at Sundance this year. Matt and I both caught up with that. Matt's also going to share his thoughts on... Something in the dirt. Something, Something in the earth? in the dirt. and the dirt. The dirt. Mm-hmm. How would I stop talking over you and actually let you speak? <laughs> and uh, I will say, since it's Sundance, it's new, there's no clips or trailers yeah. out there for me to play for you. But I did... Grab Karen Gillan talking about it. So
1: enjoy that. I just got to see the film Jewel, or Duel, Duel, as Americans say, uh, which is a film I made in Finland last year with the director Riley Stearns. And oh my god, it's so good! I'm so happy. I can't wait for you all to see. I can't wait for you all to see this. It's definitely new territory for me as an actress. I was playing two parts as well. Me and my clone. And there's some heavy stuff in there, but there's also a lot of jokes in a very dry, Riley Stearns way. And it's just a really f- cool, original, artistic, funny, weird movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Matt, <laughs> Riley Stearns returns... With Duel. Duel is a film about a young woman who finds out she's terminally ill, right? And there's this technology exists, not quite Repet for you six-day fans out there. No? No Arnold references for Matt? No. No. Fine. Anyway, you could actually have a clone of yourself made to then help your family, you know, so that you're still around. Your family and friends still have you there because you've cloned yourself. Mm -hmm. And then she finds out that, you know what? Actually, you're in remission. You're going to make it. And now she has to maybe fight her clone to the death to see who will who will survive and who will be able to carry on their lives. And that is the basic plot of duel. So not only is it duel do D-U-A-L, Matt, mm-hmm. it's D-U-E-L. That's right. It's very clever. Mm-hmm. Now I'm watching this thing, Matt, and I'm like, you know what? This has a kind of same feel for me as like this film that I ad- a couple of years ago. I think it was one of my favorite films of the year. It was in my top 10. Uh, the Art of Self-Defense with Jesse right. Eisenberg. A mm-hmm. Brilliant. Funny. Like, I laugh out loud. I cried watching that thing from laughter. I love that movie. And I remember saying, man, I can't wait to see what this director does next. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching this thing and I'm thinking, this has that same kind of vibe to it. Right? As, but it's not as funny as The mm-hmm. Art of Self-Defense. But right. it's similar. And then I'm putting my notes together after I watch the film, doing some research. Sure enough, Riley Stearns, same director, same guy. So here's what he did next. Matt, what are your thoughts on Duel? Have we escalated? Have we gone to the next level here? Mm -hmm. Or um, is this thing just kind of not quite come together?
1: Yeah. So part of what makes the art of self-defense so good is that everything is taken incredibly seriously, for something that is incredibly stupid. Um, None of that stuff really matters. And that's part of where the the comedy comes from. This is deadly serious. And, and, you know, there are literally a fight to the death that is is brewing here. It's got a a very different set of stakes. So it's much more in the terms of gallows humor than um, the art of self-defense was. I don't think this is as good as The Art of Self-Defense, but I I enjoyed it pretty thoroughly. Some of the kind of choices that Karen Gillan made with the way that she plays her character Mm -hmm. and her delivery is kind of off-putting sometimes. Um, But like when Aaron Paul does it and comes in, I'm all for it. I think he's hilarious. Um, So I think part of the weakness is maybe Karen Gillan. I think overall, the concept is pretty cool there are some stuff that's pretty it is pretty good in it and it has some pretty solid jokes i just don't think it's quite as good as the art of self-defense
0: now there is no moment in this film that comes close to the presentation of the outside daily life belts that as i said made me cry from laughter (laughs) here's the problem i have right the whole thing is feels oddly stilted everything is slightly off and self-defense was the same So clearly, I think that's a choice. So we're going for this kind of depressing, flat aesthetic. And it's successful with how it does that. And the same with Gilman's performance, I think, is the same way. But it's filled with lots of browns, lots of grays. The whole color palette is very muted. So it's very successful in its presentation. But the issue I have is that I don't know if that translates into compelling viewing. I mean, I understand we're taking some shots at some deep questions here, right? What does it mean to truly be like alive? How will you be remembered? What impact have you made on other people? What have you done with your life, Matt? Do we all just at some point kind of settle and then settle into these grooves and never truly live, right? But the problem is that it doesn't really spend that much time on that. And it's Mm -hmm. more just moving on to the next half- dark joke that doesn't quite seem to land and it's except to go like you said when aaron paul shows up i think he's the film really kind of does come a, more alive in those scenes with the two of them when he's training her but it's just i don't i just never really it it short shrifts those questions it kind of presents them and then moves on and doesn't spend mm-hmm. any time examining because that's not the movie he's making fair yeah. But I think you then you undercut your film, I think a little bit that way. And then I'm wondering afterwards, like is this more of a pandemic allegory? Like are we so desperate to break out of our current situations and to start anew? Or perhaps it's a literal sci-fi way to deal with the impact of the pandemic? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. it's it was shot in what was it Iceland? No, not Iceland, Norway, Finland. Finland. Finland thank you. Mm-hmm. Because that was one of the few countries at the time during the pandemic where they could actually film right. normally, air quotes. Uh and I feel like there was this kind of weird cloud hanging over the entire film. Well, I think there's limitations maybe for what they were able to accomplish because of that. I'm making that up. That's just a pure uh inference by me. Okay. But it, it just feels slightly the whole film feels slightly under baked i think in a way i'm not sure i don't know i think there's enough here to enjoy i didn't hate it i didn't like it as much as the art self-defense though at all mm-hmm. so i think it's well worth checking out when it comes out it has been picked up i think by R- mm-hmm. rlje entertainment bought the distribution rights so it looks like it will get a theatrical release like self-defense did so good for that but it's just didn't have the same impact to me as his prior film did. I think it's a step backwards a little bit. Um, though I still enjoyed it. I feel like Mad Duel is a B-minus film for me.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of teetering on the edge. I think I fall into the B range. I, I enjoyed it a little bit more. I don't think it's of the same caliber. But there are some really solid jokes in here. I think one of my favorites is when she's talking to the lawyer about how what she can do now. And he just kind of like flat out says, well, we can't have both of you running around. That would just be ridiculous. And it's like, (laughs) why would that be ridiculous? (laughs) I mean, you know, there are twins all the time. So um, just kind of these little, these kind of bureaucratic digs and stuff, I think are the best part. Um, You know, I think the weakest parts are Karen Gillan when she's kind of on her own, but when she's kind of paired up with some of these absurdist situations, it's it's a pretty solid film. So I enjoyed it, I think a little bit more than you, but I, I agree it does not live up to the promise that I had for Riley Stern. So hopefully he'll blow us away next time.
0: Yeah. Could very well happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also enjoyed the conversation she had with the doctor. I've always Mm -hmm. found those to be pretty uh, enlightening. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Amusing at times as well. So yeah, there you go, folks. B minus and a B not too bad for Riley Stern's latest effort, which is currently, well, I guess you're gonna have to wait now. It was part of Mm -hmm. Sundance and then it'll likely get a theatrical release maybe at some point later this year. So keep an eye out for it and check it out. Though I would say, I think you're better. You can
1: just rent it. I don't know if you to mm-hmm. going out for that one.
0: All right, Matt, what else did you see then at Sundance? Share your thoughts on that.
1: So I managed to catch one more film. It's called Something in the Dirt. Um, the latest film from Justin... Benson, and Aaron Moorhead, the duo, the writing, directing, acting duo who brought us Spring, The Endless, um, Synchronic which I, with Jamie Dornan, which I have not seen. But they had this kind of weird, out there, kind of sci-fi, cosmic horror type aesthetic with these things that are going on. And I really enjoy their films. So I wanted to check this one out. And this one is about basically... Justin Benson plays kind of this drifter guy who lives in Los Angeles, who rents this apartment side unseen um, with no lease as he's on his way out of the city, strikes up a conversation with his neighbor played by Aaron Moorhead. And while they're in his apartment, something supernatural happens and they decide that they're going to make a documentary documenting these things. And what kind of goes from there is like a kind of an unraveling of the two of them. Um, and kind of bring out their worst natures and how they kind of interact with each other. There are parts of this that are a little dense, um, especially when they start getting into these kind of theory-crafting sections, and there's this whole kind of meta story about, you know, the end result of their work and kind of how all that plays out. I think it kind of bears repeat viewings, I think, to kind of really grasp it like many of their films do. But if you're into that kind of head-trip X-Files, things are not easily explained and you're kind of left to make your own decisions about what really happened. type of mm-hmm. sci-fi. Um, this is for you. I think it's, I think it's a pretty solid inf- entry into their, their OVRA.
0: Interesting. Would you give it a
1: grade? I'm just going to go across the board here make it a, make it a triple crown. I think i would give it a B. There you go. Yeah. It's not as good as some of their other ones. I still think I liked endless and spring better, but it's, it's pretty good.
0: Yeah. I, I'm familiar with spring. I mm. heard that's quite good.
1: I have not seen that either. I haven't seen any other work. So yeah, I think spring was on shutter. So you can check that out there. The endless is might be on prime. Okay. Look at that. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. What are your
0: thoughts? If you've got a chance to see all those films, shoot us an email at feedback at the dot com, Matt. Let's spend a few minutes then and close out the show and discuss our five favorite doubles or doppelganger movies, whatever. We're going to play you the trailer from a movie, Matt, that was very influential on me for a particular reason back in the day.
1: Holly has found someone new. I'm sorry, I scared you. Someone very secret. It's very romantic. Someone who hides from us all. Another self. A deeper, darker side that is capable of the unimaginable. Fear, anger, hatred. The darkest, most prime part of her no longer hides inside. Look, just don't touch me. Don't confuse me with her. She may look like me, but she's not it has awakened and taken control. It's probably forced out by some kind of trauma. What does it want?
0: Somebody attacked you, all right?
1: And now the only thing she has to fear is herself.
0: Ooh, that sounds terrifying, Matt. That, of course, is the nineteen of course the nineteen ninety three film Doppelganger, featuring mm. a young Drew Barrymore desperate to break out of the I'm a child actor phase so she does this little run of these pseudo erotic kind of thrillers she's this she does Poison Ivy right yeah. she'd done the Amy Fisher story and uh Doppelganger was particularly um impactful to a young Chris Scouser
1: <laughs> interesting learn something new about you every day Chris there you go <laughs> not a great film
0: at all <laughs> uh, shocking i'm shocked <laughs> it has a pretty good creature uh effect in it but outside
1: of that um nope did one of the poison ivies have alyssa milano in it i don't know part two in part two okay then i remember jamie what's her name jamie yeah Kennedy? i know who you're talking about yeah, you Kennedy know, no, Kennedy's a, kind of, a very different person. That's very different. <laughs> Jamie Presley. Jamie Presley. God, man. 90s me would have been very three, disappointed I in believe. me right now. Huh? There's, just, yeah. just,
0: I think she did part three. There's still a fourth one, I Is think. It? Wow. I only saw the first two. So. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. Drew Barrymore and Alyssa Milano. Mm. You're talking about 12-year-old me's, <laughs> you know, posters in my room, dream board type
1: gotcha, stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> So,
0: all right, Matt, we got five films to get through here. Each our favorite doppelganger slash double films start us off. What do you got? What's number five?
1: All right. So number five is going to be the 1970s version of invasion of the body snatchers. I think, um, the kind of way that they use it and the, Kind of uh, constant uh, guessing of whether somebody's been replaced or not with the creepy Donald Sutherland and the creepy uh, Jeff Goldblum, you know, who are always creepy in general. So, like, do they become more creepy if they get replaced? Um, I thought it was a pretty solid uh, entry into the Invasion of the Body Snatchers canon. I guess Do you want to call it that mm-hmm. with the four versions of the film. Previously, at one point, there were no bad versions of this film until mm.
0: until. In the toe. Nicole Kidman and uh, James Bond's version, there Daniel Craig's that that movie is not that's pretty bad. That's not good at all. It's funny too, though. That what's so perfect about that franchise. Well, maybe we'll maybe I'll talk about it later. My and number wanna, five. Then go ahead.
1: I want to say one thing though to our loyal listeners. I know I just gave you one. That's not a huge thing, but a lot of these films are going to be older. But just remember, guys. Some of these films we're talking about, the entire basis of the film is whether this thing is real or not. And I don't want to spoil anything for you guys. So if you're concerned about 20, 30, 40, 50 year old films being spoiled for you, just keep that in mind. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. <laughs> uh, my number five, then, it's funny, is the doppelganger Doble thing. I don't want to talk too much about it because it, I mean, even, I think even it making my list spoils the movie, Matt, just like you said. And one of the most iconic scenes of the past 20 years for me, because it's David Bowie as Nicholas Tesla walking through a field of lightning. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. Of course yeah. it's Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Uh I'm gonna avoid discussing it basically, but you have two magicians who are trying to one up each other and to come up with this greatest final act to see who the greatest of the two of them is. Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael Caine uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, of course I said Bowie as Tesla shows up at one point, but yeah, there the reveal at the end of that film spoiler, I guess is really fun and interesting. And then you can start going through your head like, Oh wait, how did I not miss? How did I miss that? What did I miss before? And you want to watch it again. And I recently bought this cause I have only owned it on DVD. I mm-hmm. bought it on uh, UHD about, I don't know, five months ago finally because it got down to my like $10 price point there or whatever right. it was on sale. So, of course, I haven't watched it yet. But <laughs> I'm really looking forward to checking it out again because it's been... I probably haven't watched it since I bought the DVD, which would have been, what, 15 years ago? Longer? Wow.
1: Yeah. I've, se- I've so, caught it a couple times since then, yeah.
0: Does it hold up? Because, I haven't like I said, I haven't seen it in a long time.
1: Yeah. Well, it holds up so much that it's my number four. So, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it's still a pretty solid film. I remember... It was. This is one of those films that's like weirdly. Every now and again, you'll get like a, a competing version of the film that are very similar. So like mm-hmm. you get, you know, what is it, a Volcano and Dante's Peak kind of thing. Well, this yeah. had the kind of was the Illusionist um, starring Edward Norton and Jessica Biel. This is way better. Uh, this is a really really good film and it holds up pretty well.
0: Yeah, and I gotta check that out. Add it to the list. My number <laughs> four then, Matt, is. I guess this counts. And I just recently watched this past year for the first time as part of our special episode with Gomez of mm-hmm. Playlist Wars. We went over our five favorite Nicolas Cage films and its adaptation yeah. from uh, okay. from Spike Jones. I absolutely love Nick Cage in this film where he plays his twin brothers, uh, Charlie and Donald Kaufman, as they struggle to adapt mm-hmm. this book. And just uh, Cage's performances in this film are just absolutely fantastic. He's riveting to watch as both of these characters. And he invents the two of them to help him write... Well, I guess in the in the film, they're real, right? But mm-hmm. it's... Anyway, it's it's a bit convoluted, <laughs> but it's a really fascinating film that I really ended up enjoying after not seeing when it first came out. And so I had to go on my list. It's number four.
1: Yeah, it made an honorable mention for me. It is a It is a... Head trip of a film for sure. It's a yeah. uh, it's a dense, not for everybody film. That yeah. The All ending right. of it is a really just <laughs> the yeah. turn it takes is just bizarre. But anyway, yeah. Go ahead. All right. So my number three might be a bit of a cheat, but. Chris may disagree with me whether this is really a doppelganger film but if I have I love it so much so if I I talk about it all the time and I probably fit it into a conversation once every five shows at least but that's uh, our favorite horror movie of the last ten years is is It Follows where uh, essentially you have a creature that is quite literally a doppelganger it can look like anybody even your mom which may be very disturbing depending on what how it looks uh, when it comes to you but uh, that film is just when people say they don't like it I question their their taste and their ability to appreciate things completely. That's not fair, but I do it anyway because it is a masterclass in suspense. Didn't even occur to me to include it. Follows would probably be on would be my
0: number five or four. I think I I totally forgot mm. about that film. You're entirely right. I to this day I think I said this every time we talk about it. When I describe the film to people, I get goosebumps. It's yeah. that's how effective it is. It's yeah, man. I'm very disappointed in myself that I forgot. My number three then, Matt, I think I talked about this film a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, but it's the Polish director Andrzej Żuławski's Possession from 1981 with uh, Sam Neill and Isabel Ajani, and about this, he's a spy, man, basically, Matt, who comes home after his long mission, and his wife, Ajani, wants a divorce, Which mm-hmm. it's there's something off and different about her. And it is... Just a crazy film. It's a cult classic basically now. That's cause what happened... Solaski does this weird kind of these sweeping camera angles, mad I mean, you'd think the guys you must I think one review I read about it once it was so funny is that you know it's you, you can see films that apparently were made by a madman, but not a film that's like mad itself. And that's this film is just off the rails crazy, like the entire time but it just kind of sucks you in for the ride. Like are there these sweeping camera angles where he routinely like rotates the camera around people as they're talking or they'll, they'll just zoom and glide around a room while they're talking to people. People will have these calm conversations and erupt into these almost psychotic mannerisms. It's just, it's a crazy film, but it is one of the most weird, crazy, and disturbing kind of psychological horror films you'll ever see. So Possession is my number three
1: okay um i've never seen it so i guess i'll have to sit around and check it out at some point yeah definitely yeah all right so number two then is um just even saying this is in the list um is a spoiler so maybe stop for like 45 seconds and then can pick it back up um is uh duncan jones's moon starring sam rockwell as a guy who His job is to be on the moon and uh, do moon rock stuff. I think mining, I think is what he's doing and sending it back. Um, He's got a friendly AI, unfortunately voiced by Kevin Spacey, but at least you don't have to look at him. And uh, yeah, it's a good mystery. I watched this. I put this on when we were all sitting around at my parents' house one day. And the fact that my 60, 70 year old parents enjoyed this movie should really show that that has a wide broad appeal uh, that people can like. It's a really good uh, uh, sci-fi burner.
0: Yeah, I love the Moon. That's
1: a good pick, man.
0: So my number two, then I'm shocked how high it was in your list. Is the is 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Mm-hmm. Few films capture the paranoia of its time like Body Snatchers did. I think like what the Parallax View, perhaps, and then um, was it Night of the Condor? I think does as well, really well. But Body Snatchers it probably is the head of the class for all of that stuff. So not only is it politically relevant and has a lot to say about what's going on in the country at that time, it's also scary. It's really unsettling. It's very uncomfortable. And it is a fantastic film with wonderful performances. And invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. It's my favorite version of all of them. And it, I don't know, it's just one of those films that you just get sucked into. And it's endlessly enjoyable. I've probably watched it a dozen times and I never tire of it. I have it on Blu-ray. I am, if it gets cheap enough, I may get that UHD. Because I think mm. the review of it is supposed to be really good.
1: I mean, that's how much I love this film. So it's my number two. All right. Well, I got to think we have the same number one, Chris. Um, So Mm. my number one is Alfred Mm. Hitchcock's Vertigo. Yes. What about you? Yes, it is. (laughs) All right. So I think it's really the only answer because Vertigo is one of Hitchcock's, you know, of his many incredible films. It's one of his best films. It is an absolute classic and just kind of... uh, Again, I don't want to give too much away, but Jimmy Stewart um, is fantastic. All I can say is you don't want Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo trying to save your life because um, he's not very good <laughs> at it. Um, but uh, there is, a, yeah, there's a good, incredible twist in this. And it is just the masterclass of how it's pulled off.
0: Yeah. So basically, an old college buddy of his hires him to follow his wife, mm-hmm. right? Who he thinks is having an extramarital affair. But there's something else happening. And a lot of people feel it's Hitchcock's masterpiece, and it is a, a film under misunderstood at the time of its release, that has thankfully now gotten the the uh, praise that it's due. When I say now, I'm in mean like the last thirty years or so, last forty years. At mm. the time, people didn't really know what to make of it, and it is a stunning film. I mean, it's beautiful. I think it has one of Bernard Ehrman's best scores he's ever done. I mean, that I will listen to that score. This independent probably five, six times a year. I love it so much. And, but it is really a story about broken people and Jimmy Stewart too. There's a, you think about what he's doing in this film and how he just becomes obsessed. Right. And it's really a kind of a, a different type of performance from Stewart than you normally see. And he's really game for it and he's riveting the watch. So yeah, I, I really couldn't think of another number one except for Vertigo. It is a stunning Mm. film. I have not watched my UHD of that. I bought that 4K set that came out because it got down to like 30 bucks for four of them. So I grabbed it, but I have not yet watched it. I got to pop that on the TV at some point. I do love that film. Vertigo, yeah, number one. Honorable mentions, Matt.
1: So honorable mentions, um, Primer or Primer, depending on how you want to talk about it.
0: Screw that guy, though.
1: I think he's (laughs) finally going to go to jail. Yeah, He's I know. He's um, POS, Carruth is. Yeah, he, he is. I mean, it's tough because our number one, Alfred Hitchcock was pretty much a P- POS as well, um, but was sheltered from the uh Yeah, the I like to system. ignore all that stuff. Yeah, I know. See, that's the thing. I mean, I'm just kind of taking it as a film on its own and mm. trying to forget everything behind it. Never Let Me Go, Kagamusha, mm. and here. Fight Club? Is Fight Club? I mean, I have a weird relationship with Fight Club because of how... People kind of miss the point and interact with it these days, but I still really like that film. That's interesting. I don't know. It's
0: not only really a double per se. But whatever. Fine. <laughs> uh, you know, I I bought that I always had that on DVD and I bought that on Blu-ray when I was traveling recently because it was like two dollars. And I'm like, wow. I'm waiting for a UHD. How long is that gonna be? So right. I just thought so it's two bucks. Let me get the Blu-ray. But you know what's yeah. interesting when I was doing that? It's a little side note matt is how bad we've gotten for the most part we the studios with packaging Mm. you routinely got really kind of cool interesting deluxe packaging for dvd releases like the memento special edition is awesome it's like a medical chart with lots of cool stuff in it the fight club box is really nice um the boogie nights set what else the uh the um What's the uh the slasher film where they go to Sleepboy Camp set? Yeah. Is really yeah. cool. I and mean, there's a lot just, you don't see that stuff really that much anymore. Maybe some prestige box sets you'll get something, but your traditional collectors edition Blu rays, there's no more really cool packaging anymore. I think it's because people are shifting, I guess, mostly to digital, so why spend the money? Right. It just depresses me. So, I, so what I do is I put those Blu-rays or 4Ks into the old DVD cases. So my Blu-ray of Fight Club went into that. My Lord of the Rings sets, I put yeah. in my DVD boxes because they look so cool.
1: The extended edition ones. Yeah, like I, got of, I got rid of mine. I wish I had done that because that's a good idea. I wish I had kept them. Yeah, but I didn't. So
0: Plus, that's, I how, how, you, I, that's how I maintained all the special features too, which yeah. is the uh, hold on to the DVDs. Either way. Sidebar, Your Honor. Going back, uh, I would say for honorable mentions for me, stuff so you didn't mention, Black Swan, Cronenberg's mm. Dead Ringers. I guess mm-hmm. that counts as well. Uh Lost Highway. Dave is a movie I really like. Much different oh, yeah. film, but Dave yeah. is good. Uh you talked about Moon, Bowfinger, Web's enemy. Uh film we did a couple years ago, Cam, which yeah. is
1: um an interesting film.
0: Yeah. I enjoy Jordan Peele's Us.
1: And uh I guess
0: yeah, those are my honorable mentions as well. I guess
1: you could add a Mulholland Drive to that. When you said Lost Highway, that made me think of that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Don't Look Now would be included that as well. The fantastic Donald Sutherland, is a Julie Christie film from the 70s? Mm-hmm. Where they both where they lose their daughter and then he thinks yeah. he sees his daughter while they're yeah. in Europe. That's another one That's whew, that is a creepy film. If you haven't seen that one, that is tense. What are your thoughts? Shoot us an email. Feedback at run.com. What are your favorite doppelganger or doubles, whatever movies? We'd love to hear from you.
1: Matt, next week? (laughs) Hell if I know. Yeah, I don't know either. There ain't (laughs) shit coming out.
0: (laughs) Maybe we will get around to the tender bar like we talked about last week, but we Mm -hmm. realized we had the Sundance tickets we had to slot in. Uh, who knows? We'll figure it out. You'll you'll hear it at the time. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find this show. Recording tonight, Matt, our final guest episode of Screen Run, where we'll be discussing Alien Covenant. I've gone back and forth. I mentioned it last week, and I was like, eh. Now this week, eh. You know, I've been vacillating back and forth on it the whole time. I'm still not sure where I'm going to come down. I probably won't make a final decision until we record later. Until your co-host
1: can sway you? Yeah, could be. Yeah.
0: In the meantime, that's it, folks. Yeah, I guess that's the meantime. That's going to be it, folks. We're going to go ahead and take an extended break. Take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. Get that booster. We love you. We will see you soon. Sometimes I wish I could boldly go where no man's gone before.
1: But I'll probably stay in Aurora. What are you thinking about? Cassandra. She's a fox. In France, she would be called La Renard, and she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln.
0: Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he'd put on a dress and
1: play a girl bunny? No. (laughs) No. Neither did I. I was just asking.
0: Raida!